0: for joining me today. Um, We have my friend Taylor, fellow astrologer and planetary nerd here, and we're going to be trying to get a grip on our ideas around astrology and fate and free will and how all of those things work together. Okay, so for the sake of... All right, Um, for the sake of our discussion and for clarity on what we mean, let's define fate. So I'll go first. (laughs) So for me, the short definition of fate is um, within the context of astrology or life in general, when you look at a birth chart, it's a map of, you know, the soul and the life and the purpose of a person and so that's why it's so unique to each individual and I think fate is essentially like the resolution of that chart or the the purpose of that chart to come to fruition and that person's life um, following the trajectory laid out by the chart and transits and I think we we do have free will within that. to choose how we react to things that happen to us, but I, I think that the, um, it's possible to go against fate with our choices, but it doesn't, It I've never seen it go well. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I'll say for my brief definition. Um, how would you define fate? Um, I think that
1: my definition of fate was- Date is like the context of a life. And as you're speaking about the birth chart, I'm thinking about you know the placements, how everything works, kind of like the pattern, the key, the voice of the chart. Um, and the way that you were describing it kind of has me considering just kind of the notion of not ever being able to really get away from yourself. I feel like fate is just the fulfillment, the absolute fulfillment of who you really are. Um, And as you were saying to try and go against that, I find that it only feels bad, not because you're being punished, not because Saturn's chasing you down and whipping you for being bad, but because you, there's something in you that doesn't feel right going against yourself. Um, so, when fate is out to get you or whatever it, I feel I find that it's more of there's something inside of us that doesn't agree with um that doesn't feel um I'm gonna use an insta buzzword <laughs> that doesn't feel authentic to to us, yes, you know and i and I mean that genuinely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard I know, I've I struggle with language too now because certain words have been hijacked and like oh, and it's you know, when you say it it's like God this feels so cliche now because everybody says it, but like you have to hold a sign that's like, No, I really mean it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> There's like a preface now or
1: a footnote. That's it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. A little disclaimer. Um Yeah, and I I think um This, of course, like we're both very interested in psychology, so this ties in really well. But I, I, when when people think about fate, there's like this sense of pre, predeterminism, um, which you can see in a chart, and you can see like when you do a lot of different clients' charts, which we both do, um, and I think that's part of what makes people feel uncomfortable. Is like oh like, these things are, if you can see it, and it happens, like, it's already there, and so it's kind of, like, a, um, essence, what is it, I'm gonna say it wrong, but, like, essence preceding existence kind of thing, like, is it all mapped out before we get here? Yeah. Yeah,
1: there's the discomfort that looked at a certain way, uh, can give this kind of, like, predeterminism that sometimes doesn't Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's why it's really important to, like, I don't know, the birth chart is such a delicate thing. Like, it's not it itself is not delicate, but the interpretation just deserves so much respect and time and care, Um, especially as people are trying to find their resonance with themselves.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's sort of, like, um, the the more ancient, I guess, approach to astrology, especially Hellenistic astrology, it's like astrology was used to get people kind of to accept their fate, like, they understood perhaps more than we even do now that, like, certain things are out of your control and certain things are just going to happen whether you like it or not, (laughs) which is very timely for, like, where the world is at right now, um... But, so that, like, that piece of thing of of astrology is what makes me enjoy it and feel comforted, Um, but I can also see on the flip side how it would conflict with people who maybe are coming at it from a more, like, Uranus standpoint of, like, do whatever you want.
1: are your choices limited by your personhood and your wants there is a kind of container mm-hmm. for want and desire um so that's all that came up for me when you said that but when you're talking about where the world is now um and you were linking that um with with the astrology of
0: Mm -hmm.
1: what would you say about those two and fate and this time
0: well i i mean we talked about this before when last year when we were like looking ahead i was looking at 2020's astrology and i was like oh shit like (laughs) this year's (laughs) gonna suck (laughs) yeah um and there's so the simplest way that i try to explain astrology to people or or like why it's valid or why it's helpful is because it's basically just pattern recognition and so if you go back and look at the history of the saturn pluto conjunctions they're all pretty terrible (laughs) um and they're you know because they're they're planets that are further out it's like it it affects people on a bigger scale But being, you know, two of the quote-unquote malefic planets coming together, it's, like, not only is this going to be bad, but, like, you can't ignore it. And I think that's where fate comes in, too, where it's something that you can't ignore. And so having those two come together, it's, like, it's certainly, at least at this particular moment, not as bad as some of the other Saturn-Pluto conjunctions, like, We're not in the middle of a world war this time around. I mean, unless you count, like, a biological war against a virus. Um, But it's still, yeah, it's still really intense and shitty for all of us. Um, And it. on a side note, like, it's funny. Did you see that New York Times article about, like, will coronavirus kill astrology?
1: What?
0: Yeah, so they did this article... And, of course, it was written by somebody who knows nothing about astrology.
1: Oh, I have a whole spiel to go on with. Yeah, go. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, And they interviewed fucking Susan Miller, who is a sun sign horoscope astrologer. And, yes, and, like, fine, you know, that's fine. I'm not trying to, like, diss her. But of all the fucking people to talk to they pick a lady who does nothing but sun sign astrology and i'm like that's not even fucking astrology that's like the tiniest grain of sand in a sea of knowledge um so i'm just thinking like i don't think it's gonna kill astrology at all because all the people you know that you and i listen to and even just the two of us we knew like this year's gonna be horrible (laughs) But I'm like, if you follow, word to the wise, like if you follow anybody who was promising you that 2020 was going to be great, you probably realize they're full of shit or they don't know what they're talking about now.
1: It's definitely like a most intense year.
0: Mm-hmm. That,
1: that's, what, so what was the point? What were they saying? Like, will it, why would it kill astrology?
0: Well, their argument was that nobody predicted it. Which is completely false. Yeah.
1: And there's this assumption of what is an astrological prediction. And astrologers, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no,
0: no, no. But, uh, but it's funny because that's their, their argument was like, oh, you know, the world's astrologers didn't see this coming. And I want to be like, who are you following that told you this was going to be a good year? And for that matter, like even um, Richard Tarnas in Cosmos and Psyche, which came out, A really long time ago, talked about 2020's conjunction of Saturn and Pluto and said it would probably bring a new plague. And I'm like, tell me it's not real.
1: (laughs) I think that what was so interesting about that conjunction, I can't remember when that Mercury retrograde was happening in Pisces, Mm -hmm. but felt like all the news started spreading about that because was in retrograde in Pisces and people still weren't sure Mm -hmm. if it was like a pandemic or what was going on but as soon as it went retrograde people were like all right we're all just gonna go on we all need to go on quarantine um so that too I know that you weren't really speaking to that but I found that to be like an important event in like the coverage of Mm -hmm. the coronavirus but yeah that's um that's interesting I do a lot of like studying about astrology in my grad school work, um, I'm in a research class right now. Uh, it's it's kind of a bore, but it's also like a choose your own adventure kind of class. And you basically have to come up with a question and then find data and do like a little research study. And what mine is is what is the ontology that exists for someone that allows them to find astrology valid or invalid. And the reason I came up with this question was because I was so annoyed with going to academic journals, and all that they have to say about astrology is, is this real or not, and can you accurately predict something? And they're just asking all the wrong questions in all the wrong ways, and it just shows that they don't know very much about astrology at all. The questions aren't even informed. So I'm just kind of hanging out with you there, and that whole, like, how can they say this? They're not even talking to the right people. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was really disappointing, but I also think it's a mistake to try to um, validate astrology academically because it's already been ousted from like those people aren't interested in hearing it and at the end of the day it's like I, I think the proof is in the charts and how you know how like we interact with our clients and how um, you know like for instance like I've never done a chart that was wrong and that's not That doesn't have anything to do with me like I'm just reading what it says what is um, I'm curious so two questions what is the most um, like visceral experience of fate for you that you can relate to your own chart and then also like what was the most aha fate moment with a client's chart
1: My chart um, I if we're I like to I like to look at Pluto in the nodes first when I do charts um, because I find this is more of like Jeffrey Wolfgreen and um, Mark Jones's kind of realm um, but I find a lot of working value in that um, it kind of just like sets this like container for the whole thing and all of the placements speak to the significance of those placements, Pluto and the nodes. So for me, Pluto is in the second house. Um, and I think a lot about, with, with my Pluto placement in Scorpio in the second house, Libra rising, um, a lot of my self-worth and my like resource Pluto stuff, comes from me having a very very small view of myself um, I, I think that my nodes work out with Gemini as the south node in the ninth house and then Sagittarius in the third house with my north node my I'm supposed to be opening up to the world and to myself Um, And taking this like pseudo relative truth that I just kind of absorb and accept as me, actual me, and then bringing it to the north node in Sagittarius taking it out of that like high thinking realm, which is so like easy for a mercurial person with Mm -hmm. a Gemini south node, taking it to the third house north node in Sagittarius, where it literally for me just says live out. Another like bullshit Instagram thing, but live out the truth of yourself Yeah, like, feel what is real for you and live it mm-hmm. um, And so like when it comes to like things like fate for me That feels like the most like simplified way of putting it is just it is a opening up of myself and to the world um, so one of the ways that that happened was Moving to Houston and living in an intentional community. I have a 12th house Sun um, And my Venus and the moon are in the 11th house of friendship <laughs> so, It's like I open up to myself in those kinds of places and I've also got Pluto aspects to my son to Venus to Neptune a Few others I think that I'm not remembering for now um, but that's that's one thing um, that feels like it really Yeah, helped me kind of like out of the well jeffrey wolf green talks about one of these placements being like a frog in the well the pluto in the second house you look outside of the well the frog is at the bottom the frog looks up outside of the well into the sky and only sees a little piece of the sky thinking that that's the whole world um so getting into that community and then like experiencing this whole new realm of myself where i was like wow i have i'm smart i have dignity i've got good ideas like i have something to offer people like me enjoy me that was just like so dignifying and like healing um (laughs)
0: hashtag healing
1: (laughs) healing and but really like with with what i said about fate it brought me so much deeper into myself i like I described that year as feeling like I was touching myself and experiencing myself for the first time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, another fate kind of context or thing that I'm thinking about with someone's chart that I read, um, <laughs> I'd, I have to think about it for just a quick second, but she's got Pluto in the seventh house mm-hmm. and she also has Pluto and Saturn separating from a conjunction so she was living in or she was born in a time Mm -hmm. kind of like these times um and her and i have similar north south node placements she has um the south node in sagittarius in the eighth house and then Mm. north node in the second house with gemini um so her the way that i looked at it was pluto in the seventh house is this like Needing to find equality with others while also not losing the self Mm -hmm. not one partner dominating over the other um, and needing to find Parts of the self through relationship without each individual dissolving Mm -hmm. Um, There with her notes. I found that There are these beliefs about herself that felt so set in stone that kind of cemented her In these like seventh house relationships where she felt like she needed to be a certain kind of person for these partners Mm -hmm. or with these partners or there's also the I don't know if I can be alone I don't know if I can like bear that solitude Mm -hmm. Um, so Sagittarius South Node 8th house there's like intimacy stuff just wanting to be intimate, known, loved, and feeling like I, I found that there was a much part of her that felt like her identity was solidified in these things that felt like truths, but weren't. Um, and with her second house, um, with her second house, North Node in Gemini, it felt like her finding her self worth by finding the relativity of herself. Mm -hmm. that she didn't have to be so stuck in one way and in some kind of dogma about herself. Um, And her fate is more of like working herself out like within those contexts. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Like Mm -hmm. finding the liberation of this isn't who I have to be. Mm -hmm. This isn't what I'm resined to.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, Pluto in the seventh that is a rough one, and I've seen that in people's charts. And it's always like not like learning how to not lose yourself in a relationship, like that's always how. And then, of course, part of that is inevitably attracting people who, because of Pluto pressing on the ascendant like that, who see your willingness to compromise and then take advantage of it. So it's almost like you have to, you know true to Pluto fashion of like regeneration and transformation you have to have these shitty overbearing manipulative partners to then learn where your strength is
1: with the strength too I think that there's also this um, with Pluto it's this being in these relationships that you know that you don't want to be in anymore Mm -hmm. not being able to get out Mm -hmm. or let go especially when it contacts Venus.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I I did a reading for somebody it's been a while now. Um and I didn't know anything about her partner or you know, I mean, I knew she had one, but I I didn't didn't know and it was specifically a relational reading, so Um, I had both of their charts and I was like, oh my God. And it was this really awkward thing of having to sit down and just be like, okay, well, this person is definitely not for you, but you're going to keep going back to them because you're going to keep doing this until you learn the lesson. And that's exactly how it's played out for like years and is still playing out. And it's so hard to sit. And that again, I guess ties back into fate where it's like, well, the right thing to do in a certain way is obviously to leave this really bad, overbearing, toxic relationship, but it's in your chart that you won't yet. <laughs> so yeah.
1: Like the the struggle of it is the part of the lesson itself. It's like and having the courage mm-hmm. to like be able to get out of that. Whenever there's like a lot of Pluto stuff going on, I do like think a lot about Leo and Leo's courage, um, or actually I'm, I'm only thinking about that in this moment. I, I acted like I think about that all the time, but just in this moment it's coming up for me when there's so much Pluto. Um, and of course this is reflected in my chart. Mm-hmm. So, um, Pluto just requires, it asks so much of us and Leo, i find is so courageous that it could be a helpful sign and it's also asking you to be true to yourself Mm -hmm. which pluto also kind of asks of us in a certain way be true to yourself in like the changes of things how will you allow yourself to be stripped down Mm -hmm. so you can get to the core of you
0: yeah i when i try to explain pluto to clients Um, I like to use the Anana myth. Anana and Arishkagal. Yeah. Because that's, that's Pluto. Like, you have to go to the underworld and, and be willing to, like, be annihilated. But then once you survive it, it's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Or, like, now I, um, I'm sure you know this, but I'm just saying it for the context of the podcast. Um, Pluto, the word Pluto means riches. So, um, it's, like, the riches that are found in the darkness. Pluto
1: yeah. is also so extreme.
0: Yeah, I've found that i um... I do, I do fine with people that have Pluto in the first house, but I don't do well with people who have Pluto and Mars either together in the first, or have, like, um, harsh Pluto-Mars aspects. Um, especially if it involves the first house because they're, they're abusive. Or that's been my experience of them anyway. Yeah, do you, do you want
1: to explain why?
0: Oh, okay, yeah, well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Mars is very aggressive and active and, and expressive. Um, and you know, it's another quote-unquote malefic planet. Um, and then Pluto is has to do with our concepts of of power um which in charts translates you know can go it's a spectrum like all the other planets so it's either the ways that you um give your power away or the ways that you abuse your power and ideally you're somewhere in the middle but when those two planets in my experience are talking and it's usually more with a conjunction or a square than an opposition at least in in my experience and what i've seen um when it's conjunct or square it's like especially if it's in the first um which is the ascendant which is the self and how we present ourselves people with that are just so forceful and pluto in the ascendant by itself is um in my experience of it is is almost more of like a like a feeling Um, Like, like an intimidating feeling. So it's not even necessarily conscious on the part of the person who has it. It's just there and other people feel it. Whereas if you have Mars, you know, Mars moves outward so forcefully that if that's in contact with Pluto, then it's taking all of that and like magnifying it.
1: themselves out in their processes are so different. But I think that that conjunction, though, so intense and often volatile. Mm-hmm. I know my my dad, who I don't know, this is very personal now, <laughs> I, I got a hold of his birth chart and he has that conjunction in Virgo. Um, but I find that just best case scenario, that conjunction is like this transformation of the expression of the will, it's this really wonderful opportunity, Mm -hmm. um, but with those two, like, it it seems like there is a promise that it will get messy and dark. (laughs) There's no, and again, back to the fate thing, there's no avoiding that struggle. There's no avoiding the Pluto crisis, the Pluto tower. Um, So...
0: Yeah, yeah. it feels like a powder keg, and I see, um, I mean, I'm an Aries. I appreciate a strong will, but I, um, it, it becomes a problem when, like, I, I guess it's like having, having such a powerful thing in the chart bears a lot of responsibility, so it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy of, um like imminent destruction until you learn how to not burn everything down around you (laughs) yeah yeah. 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 now i'm just sitting here thinking when are pluto and mars gonna meet up oh
1: yeah (laughs) well that just happened that just happened recently oh
0: that's when everybody started dying like when the, the yeah the They they met up and it was really close to the south node and people were dropping like flies. I remember that now. Well, now I'm like, when is it gonna happen again?
1: (laughs) Well, Mars is gonna be in Aries for the rest of the year.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Um, Yeah. The so the the questions I asked you about um, in your own chart and your clients so. For me, the the most interesting well, there's two cases that were very um, creepy, in a good way. But um, so the first one was realizing that um, Mars in the second house. I found just through like experience can be the early death of a parent, because. Um, your resources come from your parents and Mars is, is violent separation. So, I have Mars in the second, um, and my biological mom died when I was like a year and a half old, very suddenly, in a car accident, um, and then one of my clients also, I did her chart and she has Mars in the second and she lost her dad when she was pretty young, um, But I also have this thing with both of my parents because of our age difference where the annual perfections always line up, so we're always in the same, um, perfection with our birthdays, so, like, um, my dad and I, well, I guess, and my mother were all in a second house perfection when she died, um... And of course, second house is opposite eighth house. So anything that happens in the second of resources and vice versa triggers eighth house stuff: shared resources, endings, um, inheritance. Da 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 da. And then the other thing um, was when Brian and I got engaged, and I accidentally like saw it <laughs> um, in the chart and in the astrology because I was in a seventh house perfection. And there was an eclipse in my seventh house the day he proposed. And he didn't know any of that. (laughs) But I did and kind of like spoiled it for myself. Um, And then in my client's charts, I feel like, as I'm sure you do too, like there's just story after story of how things work out. But the most interesting one was recently, um, I told you this other day, the guy had Pluto in the eighth um, opposite his Venus in the second and those planets were in configuration to Neptune and Sagittarius in the 11th and he um, met his first wife in the Navy Neptune 11th um, and then found out after they got out that she had a lot of substance abuse issues Neptune um, and didn't know
1: about it no,
0: yeah he had no idea and then of course they had a terrible divorce and it was really hard um, Pluto in the eighth but then the cool thing was his um, Juno is right at the very very top of his chart in Libra and his wife now is a Libra um, and there was something in there with Saturn I can't remember now exactly the aspect but I I could see how, like, he they weren't going to be together until after his Saturn return. Because yeah. um, they had met in high school and then split up. He joined the Navy, got married, da-da-da. Didn't work out. And then now they're together. And I'm like, okay, like, this all had to happen. Right. Which is... Even though it sucked, I'm sure to go through, it's like kind of comforting to be like, okay, you just, this is how it had to happen. Like, it wouldn't have worked any other way. Yeah, it was going to, as
1: if maybe you had planned it out or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, I was thinking as you were talking about all of those cases, I, um, when I moved to that intentional community, I was in a ninth house perfection year. Um, oh. Wow. so right on my nose, the south node
0: hmm um, And ninth house being spirituality and travel and, yeah.
1: And, and guess what? Jupiter was in Cancer.
0: Oh, exalted. Born.
1: Jupiter and my perfections are, my perfection is just behind Jupiter's movement. So half of my perfection year also gets to hang out with Jupiter. So hmm That's convenient. Yeah,
0: that's nice, and that I feel like that probably helps your nodes. Yeah, <laughs> helps your nodes yeah. out. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of other like instances of of fate. Um, I've been reading that Liz Green book, The Astrology of Fate, and I'm only halfway through it, but she talks a lot about Pluto which is a a planet that i haven't like paid super close attention to until maybe this past year cuz it's, it's tr- so important. I know. And the tr- that's another reason why i personally i while i like um like hellenistic astrology and and those kinds of things i think um you have like how can you ignore the other planets? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But she says that because Pluto is, like, the last planet in terms of astrology, that Pluto draws the lines of fate, and it's kind of, like, the limit, which used to be associated with Saturn. And Saturn still carries some of that now, um, but Pluto, like, has the final word. Mm.
1: Something that I was thinking just now is, like, since Saturn is boundaries, it's like Saturn initiative boundary it's like the fate because saturn is before pluto in the solar system it's like you don't get to live out certain portions of the fate until that saturn return Mm -hmm. moving on even further perhaps to the more pluto things have Mm -hmm. you what do you think of that
0: um well i agree with that like having been through my saturn return it's like um Saturn is definitely, like, a a test, and I, um, and I think that that's why, like, Uranus is past Saturn. It's, like, you have to survive Saturn and learn those limits and learn that discipline to then get to the liberation of Uranus.
1: Yes, I was just thinking that. It's, like, until the Saturn return, then it's, like, yes, as I was saying, it's, like, this initiation into the other realms of, yeah, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, Mm-hmm. It makes sense like you're not ready for the other stuff until Saturn is just so helpful until you've got, like, your own foundation more solidified,
0: mm-hmm. hopefully,
1: hopefully with your Saturn return. Um, it's like a helping you kind of refine so you can get further into those chart aspects with the other outer planets. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and that's something that comes up a lot, like, a lot of... Um, like musicians and stuff you know the 20 set forever 27 club and all that i'm like those people did not survive their saturn
1: another thing that i've read before about them is um this this secondary progressed um moon um moon. once their moon their progressed moon uh got to like close to their natal or right on it it's like there's this feeling of I didn't live up to who I actually am and I can't bear that
0: oh
1: yeah that I mean that's another thing with this fate thing which brings us to my favorite subject right now (laughs) solar returns yes but um but yeah the transits and the progressions and all of that too
0: so the the when their when their progressed moon hits their natal saturn their natal moon their natal moon okay Okay. Mmm, that's interesting. Ooh, that makes me look, <laughs> look mine up. But I survived Saturn, so hopefully I'm okay.
1: Well, and, and I did talk about how it's like, it's, and I'm getting very close to that. Um, they talk about how um, it's the second, the pro, what the fuck am I saying? The progressed moon, mm-hmm. um, once that conjuncts the natal, that is
0: like the precursor to the Saturn return as far as Oh, okay. Yeah. I've I've just done a little bit of progression. Like progressive charts because I I like I like transits a lot, but progressions, um I've looked at mine a little bit, but that's about I mean I'm always and, trying to learn like seventeen things at one time. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I like progressions they're there, they're relevant, but I I've, I've kind of because you know it all moves so slowly and it's mostly just the moon mm-hmm. moving the most. Um, I don't like do too much with it, but it is helpful to look at. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I when um my midheaven progressed into Scorpio before I even knew knew it um i had this really weird just intuitive feeling of like i don't want to share shit i don't want to talk on social media i don't want to post i don't want to you know and i there was no reason other than i felt that way and then when i started looking at progressions i was like oh my midheaven is in scorpio right now (laughs) like and
1: it also speaks to your like Mm-hmm.
0: the, in the Oh yeah. I mean, I'm I'm still feeling that, um, and I had moved when Uranus was in Aries, which is my natal IC. Uh, when Uranus was moving through Aries for seven years, I moved every year until it ended. Every year.
1: Exhausting <laughs> oh, God, Uranus is. Uranus is sweet with that intention, I, the the liberation. But Lord, living a Uranus, Uranus, yeah, anything is electrifying. It I find that Uranus has this like burnt out kind of quality to it. Mm-hmm.
0: It's just very um, erratic and like, and I find I find that with my um, natal Mars in Aquarius because Aquarius is ruled by Uranus, so it's like, it's all, my physical energy is never steady, (laughs) like, I'll be super productive, and then, which might also just be an Aries thing, um, but it's always very, it fluctuates a lot, and I've learned creatively, like, if I'm feeling it, I just have to run with it, because I don't know when it's gonna go away, and then, by the same measure, if I'm not feeling it, I can't force it, like, it will not go Mhm. Yeah. yeah, my natal Mars and Moon together in Aquarius, which is why my first emotion is anger. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and detachment?
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's oh. Like
1: I feel like even more, like, your Aquarius and Aries combination is you saying... I feel like you being like, I cut that bitch off. That is, like, those two talking together saying in
0: synchronicity yeah well yeah i think it's um i think my moon probably you know obviously you don't want to detach from your emotions all the time but i think my moon is probably what's kept me from being more aggressive (laughs) it's like okay instead of murdering someone we're just not going to talk to them anymore yeah yeah um this just flew into my head, but speaking of when you're talking about Venus retrograde things, um, I, tonight, heard from... Okay, Venus retrograde in Gemini. I heard from a Gemini friend that I have not spoken to in two years. Wow, there it is. I was and like...
1: let's <laughs> see well, it turns out.
0: Yeah, it was... I, I haven't, you know done anything about it yet but it i was just like oh damn you know like that's that's so on point for this so literal mm-hmm. yeah
1: i can't I, is a really like venus retrograde thing that is happening in one of my friends lives that i cannot say anything more about but uh yeah it's interesting the timing the only thing nothing like big has been happening for me with venus retrograde it's in my ninth house And, um, I don't, I don't, yeah, it's just in my ninth house, uh, not doing anything with my nose though. Um, but it's been so nice how I feel like I can, like, focus a bit more on school, Mm -hmm. and also with Mercury coming in there. I I like the way it's all opening up, and I'm curious about how that conjunction is going to work out, too. Oh, and we're also in the midst of that Neptune, uh, Venus, square happening today so if you met someone just beware yeah
0: i said that on the podcast earlier i was like it's really not a good time to start a relationship like it might be a good i can see it being like a honeymoon phase for an existing relationship maybe but um i i the way that i read this last month when I was just looking at May in general and given everything that's been going on, it's like, okay, everybody's been in quarantine, everybody's been locked up, people are isolated and lonely, and it made me think of like dating apps and how people, like that's how people meet and establish connection now is through the internet and it's all talking, which is very Gemini. And then Neptune um, has this at least The way that I interpret it has this connection with the internet because the internet is so nebulous and detached. And so you've got people forming these relationships through words online and then, like, maybe eventually they'll start meeting because things are opening up and it'll seem really great. And then once Venus separates from Neptune, it's going to be like, oh no. Yes.
1: Yes. And once it goes direct, Mm
0: too. Yeah.
1: I also find that Gemini can be quite gadgety, so hmm a, a phone, or mostly phones, sometimes a computer.
0: Yeah. Well, and Gemini is, like, very, um, it's very wordy, but I find that it's not, it's definitely not as in-depth as Sagittarius.
1: Right. It likes to skim everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like not even like a thorough getting to know someone it's just like oh I had a good time flirting with you and now all of a sudden we're in this relationship yeah <laughs> this like super romantic relationship which that is so Neptune mm-hmm. it, it is so I I have personal experience with this it is so so sugary addictive Neptune um, romantic Mhm.
0: So, yeah. Until reality comes knocking. <laughs>
1: I mean, which is Neptune's highest function is mm-hmm. like bringing you to reality, but that reality is so it's daunting how different it is. How I mean, Neptune is foggy hidden, so totally catches you off guard and then there's that crisis of, "Well, Jesus, I didn't expect this at all."
0: Yeah thought you were seeing
1: um do you want to talk about solar returns and sure eight in that okay. yes <laughs> um were you gonna say something
0: oh no i'm just like roll with it <laughs>
1: all right so something that i've been thinking about lately and i felt like this was like perfect for what we're talking about <sighs> there is a tearing debate between astrologers work with solar returns about whether you use your natal location or the location that you are.
0: Okay. We got cut off there. So you were talking about the debate between um, astrologers about natal location, new location. Yes. And maybe, yes. maybe real quick, you should also just like define what solar return chart, a uh, solar return chart is. So people know.
1: Okay. <laughs> it's a very exciting tool that I um, obsessively started looking at for myself and for people that i read for when i feel it's appropriate so the solar return chart is you all of the planets return to the natal location um it's just you know a matter of tracking it so on your birthday it's not always your birthday it could be the day before or the day after just any 24 hour kind of ebb and flow The sun is going to return to the exact natal location the degree yeah the degree so and the second that is a very important part so my my um solar position is virgo 19 degrees 47 seconds so um the essentially where where, when the solar when when the solar when the sun lands there at virgo 19 degrees 47 seconds virgo that kind of draws a picture of the stuff that i can experience encounter it's like the menu of what that year holds um so my 2019 solar return um these are just some examples um i i drew it for my birthplace because I was only living like 30 minutes from where I was born Um, so I didn't I didn't I personally was not in between that tear like I am now living in Seattle Mm -hmm. Um, but it showed cancer or not cancer the moon in my third house or in the solar return third house uh, which signifies movement moving homes Moving locations. I moved the very next day. um, And then there was this huge stellium. Um, I forget the planets. It was, no, I don't forget them. It was Mars, the Sun, Mercury, and Venus, a Mercury Venus conjunction, which is important. And I'll swing that around in a second. But ninth house is going to grad school. Um, There was like a lot of like buildup, a lot of like energy that went into me doing that. Um, And then I also fell in love with someone. Um, who lives in Canada Um, so that is also a ninth house thing with foreign people and with that Mercury Venus conjunction and the long distance relationships talking constantly it it can just be so literal um, Mm -hmm. the solar return charts and I find that they're fun to look at before you get there but I've I kind of think that looking at them like as you're a quarter of the way in them can be a bit more insightful especially if things aren't like already solid in your life and you're not like doing anything long term Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah does that does that explain yes yeah yeah okay Okay. so (laughs) the tearing debate here however and this is where fate is brought about and, and the question of can you tamper with that at all is I was born in North Carolina but I now live in Seattle so there is this option of using my natal location which a lot of astrologers recommend when casting a solar return chart or using the relocation location and there are astrologers who are like if you don't like your solar return chart then go take a vacation somewhere where the solar return looks better and and the way that that would look different is by the ascendant degree mm-hmm. so the houses that all of the planets land and and i forgot to mention that the ascendant is hugely important in a mm-hmm. solar return chart it's basically your temporary ascendant for that year mm-hmm. and my my ascendant for 2019 was capricorn so fun mm. fun fun, fun. Um, (laughs) and it's, it's so helpful too, um, because the natal houses as the solar return, like is kind of landed and you know, the ascendant degree in, in my case, the fourth house became my first house. So I, the whole year was just about home and roots and belonging. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So like the overlays with the houses is also super interesting. I'm basically just trying to convert everyone into looking at their solar return charts because they're fascinating.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Going back to this fate thing and you all here are just listening to a Virgo Libra just bouncing around in the air, not landing anywhere. I'm following. Um, You're following um, because you have Virgo in your chart. I find that people who don't have a lick of Virgo in their chart cannot follow me and I'm like, just just follow me I'll land I'll land at some point anyway do you use the natal or the relocation chart the fate thing comes in with thinking that you can change the outcome of the year what I am finding for myself with looking at my North Carolina relocation or solar return chart and then my Seattle solar return chart for 2020 this upcoming birthday Mm -hmm. um they echo each other so it's like this cute little like you thought that you could get away you thought that like you could change it but really it's still gonna say the same damn thing
0: oh wow
1: it kind of reminds me of tarot readings and how you go to them and you ask the same question and then they answer it just in a different way Mm -hmm.
0: or you pull the same card yes Yep. Yeah, well, that's where, um, that's so funny that they echo each other, and I, I, it just brings to mind people who, you know, we all know somebody like this, especially if they're like a Sagittarius moon or something, that think if they move, that they will escape themselves, and it's like, yeah, like, you're still, you carry your shit with you no matter where you go. So it's, yeah. fun, it's funny to see that in your, like, relocation chart that it's still very similar. Yeah. And yeah. I wonder, um, because, like, the planets in the signs, the, you know, the, the planets' placements in the signs don't change based on location. It's just the house system. Right, right.
1: Although I think the moon could change
0: if it's, like... Oh, yeah, time of day or whatever... Unless it was like a, a a large time difference, maybe, and it, and the moon was already like maybe in between, so like on the cusp of the sign. Yeah,
1: that's what I was. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yes. 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 I was right. We're both right. <laughs> Yay!
0: Right. Uh, <laughs> our Virgo placements are very pleased. <laughs> um. Yeah, I it, when you talk about using both charts like I'm sure that some people get annoyed by this but I don't care. You know, when you talk about like is it placidus or is it whole sign or is it you know, I'm like just just use all of it. Yep. Cuz I don't think any of it is wrong. I just think um there's things, you know, there's valid things for each line of practice. Um, and it's just about integration. It's not like one or the other.
1: Right. Um, I predominantly use whole sign. But Placidus, mm-hmm. I find, they, they just speak to different parts. They cast a different shadow. Mm-hmm. So in my whole sign houses or chart, um, my moon is in my 11th house. But in the Placidus, it's in the 10th. And I definitely feel like friendship is really important to me it is one of the like core things about my life but then also I'm extremely sensitive to <laughs> outside perceptions of me however much I try and like defy that or transcend it it mm-hmm. is through of me so I agree with that
0: it's interesting to see I have to let my cat out real quick <laughs> go on okay Um, it's interesting to see how, um, the house systems translate, or even like the same placements translate in charts based on like the rest of the chart, because like no placement exists in a vacuum. So when you said moon in the 10th house, it's funny because there's, um, someone whose chart I had to look up just to make sense of why they drove me insane. Um, (laughs) And they have the moon in the 10th, but they also have a harsh Pluto-Mars aspect in the first house. But um, the 10th being public perception, in this person's case, I find that it's like putting all of your emotions out there for people to see. But you don't do that.
1: But I'm a fucking Leo moon. I did do that until I realized that I would rather just be seen mostly. I, I just how I want to be seen, and by who, and mm-hmm. in what context. Mm-hmm.
0: There's,
1: like, and that's my Virgo. I feel like my Virgo just really, like, levels me out in some of these places. Yeah.
0: But, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I I glanced at my solar return. I, I didn't, I haven't, like, delved. I haven't gone like down the rabbit hole with it yet but I know I sent it to you and we talked about it and it's basically already my natal chart it's not that different but I do have moon and Sag in the first and I'm like what? I wonder how that's going to go
1: I've read that it's like a anything that comes to your anytime that your natal ascendant is your natal ascendant it is like a new era for you which makes sense you're getting married Mm-hmm. Um, I for I've read something about the moon there, but I don't remember because it didn't apply to me um, <laughs> as a Leo, so I just skipped it for now.
0: Was it relevant to my chart? Well, it
1: wasn't
0: about me. yeah. <laughs> I tell people though when they well you know when they ask about learning astrology, I'm like learn your shit first because that's how you know that's how you learn it. It's personal.
1: Yes that's how i learned astrology as i just got obsessed with my chart mm-hmm. and that's how you learn all the the signs that's how you learn everything mhm yeah. learn your birth chart yeah even if you gotta like google it you'll you'll eventually get to some good shit
0: mhm yeah i try to um steer people in the right direction when they ask about like doing their own chart and i know like A lot of people poo-poo on Cafe Astrology, but I'm like, you know what? It's fine for a beginner. It's the most beginner-friendly but accurate site, and then you can graduate to Astro.com. Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: And then your brain's going to (laughs) explode.
1: Yeah. Another, just for if anybody is listening who is interested in resources, another one that I really liked was Astro King. Yeah. He's great with aspects.
0: Yeah, he is. He's very good. I I look up um, stuff on there, and then I have, of course, like the the all the Rob books. So Rob Hand and Robert Pelletier, and they're good too. The OGs. <sighs> so sweet. But there's there's definitely a lot of crap out there. So like Astro Butterfly and Tarot Psychic Astro. I'm like, shut up. And and so many of those sites cop literally copy and paste from. <laughs>
1: they called each other I was just about to say that
0: oh it runs all over me I hate it I'm like you just straight up stole this by the way that is
1: your Aquarius what's mm. okay. your Sagittarius this a bit on my stories at some point but the thing that I found most like rewarding as far as like my like studying astrology is when you get to the point where you can begin to like you can you can what is what is the word I'm looking for you can see how the signs are working out when you begin to be able to come up with your your own interpretation interpretations have your own relationships with these signs, mm-hmm. and that is what makes an interesting astrologer. Mm-hmm. That is what makes conversations with different astrologers so fascinating, is because they're also experiencing the signs in different ways and bringing out different like faces of mm-hmm.
0: the signs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's. it's such an observational science that it's, it's beautiful that you have the dignity of being able to like trust your experience
0: with Mm -hmm. those
1: placements.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it eventually it becomes more intuitive and, um, and that, I mean, that's part of learning anything. I feel like you have to start with mentors and teachers and, and outside sources. And then once you kind of build that foundation, then you can trust, how it shows up for you and then yeah because if everybody i mean if astrology was just as simple as like um i almost said calculus but calculus is not simple if it was simply a math equation and there was no intuitive property to it then it wouldn't be interesting right
1: there would just be one interpretation Mm Mm-hmm. like i said it would be quite bland yeah and i don't Astrology would
0: feel quite as living either. Mm-hmm. And I like hearing other people's. I mean, that's one of the reasons I like having friends on here is because I don't. I don't want it to be just me yammering on because, like, that's one perspective that's highly influenced by my chart and my placements. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. So it's good to bring, you know, because everybody has a different experience, and it's like they they speak the same language, but in different dialects, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: And I think, too, okay, I'm having a thought, so I might not, like, formulate this precisely at first. Um, but the, the zodiac signs that are naturally in harmonious relationships or hard relationships, however, for instance, Libra. Libra is my ascendant. I have stellium there. Um, what square is it? Capricorn, Cancer, and then we've got an opposition to Aries, who is Summer. And and I will have certain things to say about the the signs that I'm squared and opposite to that bring out the things that, like, I'm kind of, like, embodying those squares. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And, like, my interpretations would be more speaking to those squares because that's my relationships to them. Mm -hmm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Mm Thing with, like, the harmonious aspects. So, like, Libra and Sagittarius, or Libra and Leo. I mean, I just, I love my Leo. So I will always have great things to say about (laughs) us.
0: Yeah, it's funny, because my... I like certain Leo aspects, for sure, but I think my Aquarius placements also butt heads a little bit. Um, But I've tried to work on that um but I realized so you know in in going to therapy for the past year and a half um I realized that I mean so you can see so much of childhood in a chart um and my Aquarius placements my dad's an Aquarius but my mom um she's a Gemini but she has Pluto in Leo um and I'm pretty sure she's a cancer ascendant, or I don't think we know her exact birth time, but that seems about right. So um, I think that in growing up with somebody who always did the talking and always, you know, sort of, I love my mom, but, you know, she, she can um, suck up a lot of the attention in the room. <laughs> So I think that any issues I have with Leo placements are mostly from that combined with my Aquarius placements. It's like, hey, let somebody else talk, let somebody else shine. Um, but my Lilith is also there, so. I was
1: just about to say
0: that. Yep, yep, and and she comes out. She she plays usually when I'm very mad or self righteous.
1: <laughs> I find too that with it being in your whole sign ninth house. Mhm. Yeah. There's yeah. like.
0: Yeah, well yeah, and I think like, Lilith and Leo in the ninth combined with my 11th house Pluto is like, I get, and my Aquarius placements, all of that together is like, I, that's one of the reasons I get so annoyed with like the whole fake, woke, pseudo-spiritual shit on the internet, because I'm like, you're all full of trash, like.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and. yeah there so that and be yourself don't like be so fake
0: yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah, well, anyway, I don't know that that's fate, but <laughs> I'm just excusing uh, my my judginess <laughs> and my south node in virgo in in the well, yeah, I guess it would be it's right between the ninth and the tenth, I guess it depends on Placidus or. Or like whole, sin- whole sign, 10th. yeah, whole sign tenth, which is public perception, etc. Yeah. Which,
1: which I mean, yeah, man, the South Node is so helpful. I just want to like, can we just cut that myth? Can we talk about that?
0: Yes, helpful? let's, because that's fate too. Yes. The nodes, yeah. okay.
1: The South Node is the North and South Nodes. Okay. Can Can I just explain this Pluto North Node South? Yes. Node? Pluto is like what, in the way that I'm using Pluto in readings, Pluto is the, the thing that you're here to transform. And often because it's Pluto, you'll have crisis. You'll have like difficult experiences that are often painful or violent to some capacity. Um, and that's, here, that's what you're here to transform. However, you've got this lovely gift of the North and South nodes Um, I like to think of the nodes as a lot of astrologers are, I don't even know if astrologers or if this is just people on the internet. (laughs) A lot of people will say that the South node is the thing to get rid of. It's the thing that you've overdone, overused. Um, I find that I like to explain it more as if you're using a bow and arrow, the South node is the bow and the feather part of the arrow and the North node is the arrow head. So without that, Place that you're coming from you have no way to go toward your direction the north and south nodes are your keys out of the pluto madness it speaks to how you can transform that um so i think the south node is like i mean yeah it has its challenges but it's like one of the greatest gifts of the chart it's like your toolbox
0: mm-hmm. it's the tools you already have yes yeah yeah i get i get frustrated with that kind of language, too, because it's like, if you, ha- you know, um, it's just about integration. What, like, what can you use and integrate that's positive and constructive from your South Node to get to the North Node? Because if you throw all of your South Node stuff away, it's a denial of the self, yeah. which is bad for um, you, psychologically.
1: Yeah, it's a fragmentation for sure, and you can never get away from yourself either. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. Or even when people talk about, like, bla- bad placements in general, I'm like, there's there's difficult placements, but I, I think everything has a purpose, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I'm reading this solar return book. I can't remember who wrote it or even you know, what it's called. I've got a few of them that I, like, going back and forth between. But this one astrologer said something that I thought was so lovely. She was like, we can either think that the squares and this... A lot of astrologers talk about like do does do the planets and the aspects make things happen or do they just symbolize things that are happening? But when it comes to she was speaking specifically about the square, she says when a square shows up, is it signifying that there is struggle here or is it signifying the resources that one has to get through that struggle? Mm. Uh, I loved that. I found it so redemptive.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's really. Um, hmm, I like that. I find that squares are tense but helpful. It's like planets are like pushing each other.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Like I don't even even the most difficult charts I've seen. I I'm not like oh well your life is fucked. <laughs> you know it's like you've got. You've got some shit but you know like here's how you can probably get through
1: <laughs> so deep. a lot of people with like hard charts have just such deep inner lives mm-hmm. they're so resilient i mean i mean it just depends really but i also looked at a composite chart recently that was almost nothing but the squares and this couple there they were such a beautiful deep sweet intentional thoughtful couple chart which is just laden with these squares so yeah I've been, I've been thinking about squares lately and not feeling so like oh this is a square
0: Mm-hmm. Right. yeah I think squares are easier than oppositions for sure I think
1: oppositions are easier than squares you're, it's
0: cause you're a Libra <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's <so> true
0: <laughs> I'm an Aries I'm like give me the conflict <laughs> push me please
1: Mm-hmm. Say that Libra is non-confrontational, and I think that the thing that if if when Libra is non confrontational, I find that it's because Libra can't find its center. It's feeling everybody else's stuff and is having a hard time giving itself. But Libra is an initiator. It's a peacemaker. Mm-hmm. It does conflict it does not mean about it. It prefers to be polite and like diplomatic. Mm-hmm. diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> stereotypical thing to
0: say about Libra but I find that that's true mm-hmm. yeah I mean I know um well I don't know that my brother is the best case of a Libra cause he has a Sag Moon and Uranus in the third so he's a very vocal Virgo ascendant he's a very vocal uh Libra for sure but he's still, well, I don't know if it's fair to say that he's nicer than me, though.
1: <laughs> You're very nice. Where do you, what makes you say that?
0: Oh, no, I just mean in terms of, like, when it comes to conflict. Um, yeah, I, I. he's diplomatic, but he's not, he's a complicated guy. <laughs> well, are we all? Yes, yes. Um, so going back to the fate thing, was there, is there anything, I don't know if this is too personal or not, but like, is there anything in your chart that once you learned about it, were you kind of like, like, oh no, or that you worried about that maybe you don't now?
1: i wonder if i'll ever feel like i have like a stable sense of home Mm -hmm. especially with that neptune uranus conjunction um but then too i've got this glaring glaringly sweet but so prickly um pluto venus square Mm -hmm. um turn me to your question so I can get back on track with my answer
0: yeah I was just wondering if there's anything in your chart when you for, when you first learned about it that you were like oh crap yeah yeah
1: it's that <laughs> <laughs> it's that square um as far as like it's 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 like in that second house so it's self-worth it's resources it's like my money Especially like as it squares Venus, so I'm like, am I always going to be shit with money, just like burning through it? Um, but also, like, it it spoke to these insecurities that show up in my deep, intimate, like, romantic relationships that cause me to just like become this person, this part that this part of me that I don't recognize very much, just become. Mm-hmm. um and with with pluto being in the second house it's and with it's square to leo a leo venus it's like my self-worth being transformed by um or being like challenged by like my expression of myself and people's acceptance of that mm-hmm. or not. um like will you look at me will you see me will you know me will you be loyal to me which <laughs> is such a no oh, Venus square off, um, but such a Leo thing too. Yeah. Yeah. What about you?
0: Um. Well, I I had to reconcile my South Node Virgo for sure because I and having an Aries Mercury, which is very direct and abrasive. Sagittarius descendant, like I just let shit fly, and. <laughs> Um, so, like, that was one of the first things when I really started learning about my chart. Um, and Mercury being one of the first planets that you get to know, it was, like, you're mean with your words. (laughs) And it's not intentional. It's just, you know, very direct communication, but not everybody appreciates that or is receptive to that. And then combine that with a very judgy Virgo south node, it's, like, the criticism I think something that's important for people to know about Virgo placements um, is that criticism is meant in a good way
1: it is meant to purify, to refine yeah and from the
0: Virgo. yeah it's like it's not to be mean it's like hey you could you could be better at this or you could do this thing or why don't you just do it this way and nobody likes that of course um, so I've had to try to like tone that down without rejecting it and, and be more, try to be more, um, kind with my words while maintaining that honesty. Like I'm still a very direct communicator, but on my better days, I kind of pause and think about how I'm going to say something (laughs) before I say it. And then to my, I'm still like negotiating with my 11th house, Pluto, because I'm very critical of like larger groups of people <laughs> and systems of power um and I and I it makes me think of that old I th- I'm pretty sure it's like an old Buddhist proverb of like if you if you stop to throw a rock at every dog that barks at you, you'll never get where you're where you need to be. Amen. So working on that always
1: Yeah, amen. <laughs> About, like how you were working with those placements um I was thinking about my Pluto square Venus thing and like the opportunity there I was saying like to my partners will you be loyal to me will you accept me will you see me will you know me but like that square is really just a call it's just a call back to myself <laughs> Will I, but really, will I be loyal to me? Will I see me? Will I know me? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that is that too kind of like goes back to my Libra too, because Libra is just so like porous in like a airy kind of way, but it just catches everything mm-hmm. and has a really hard time staying with itself because it can see everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it I feel like it's like such a sensitive air sign
0: Mm -hmm. Um, I would say it's the most sensitive air sign
1: I I think so too um so it's like everything just gets caught in the web and you don't like you can't see your own desire or thoughts anymore or like have any contact with yourself so I feel like that's a very like Libra ascendant which is the most one of the most active things about the chart Mm -hmm. um kind of like I don't know. It goes well in its problematics with that square.
0: Yeah. I I like that about Libra. I don't have anything there, um, but I, I do appreciate, like, Libra's diplomacy and Libra's ability to see all sides of something, even, like, especially when I can't. With an Aries-Mercury, it is very, like... One point of view, um quite unintentionally, but just you know Aries placements tend to tend to just focus on like here's here's my thing um, so i like i I love those qualities in Libra, but I you know it always depends on other placements, like I dated a guy who had a Libra moon in the second house combined with a Libra south node, and it was terrible. <laughs> So, it, I mean, again, like, everything depends on the context of the chart, but I think it's good, like, working, when you're working with your own chart, to find complementary things, even if you don't have planets there, like, try to, try to like, supplement as much as you can psychologically.
1: I think it's also so helpful to know what those zodiac signs are trying to get at,
0: mm-hmm. like,
1: planets there like what is oh, what what are they trying to say I mean I always return to Leo with my examples but I hate when people say like the best way to like deal with a Leo is to ignore them and I'm like god damn if you want to get a Leo to nag you mm-hmm. ignore the fuck out of them yeah <laughs> Leo just its function is to be seen. Mm-hmm. So like figuring out what they want, what these placements want, what they're after, and then kind of like introducing them to each other. hmm I find that helpful too.
0: Yeah. Well that I think that's another thing that like why astrology is so complicated to learn because you have to understand the planets, the signs, the aspects, the houses. And then how all of that has a conversation.
1: It's so fun.
0: I mean, I like it, but... Yeah. I yeah. think
1: it's
0: fun. Yeah. I'm trying to think of some other fate-related... things. Hmm.
1: Say more about what you're reading in Liz Green's book.
0: Um, well, she's great. I mean, she she's also... An analyst, like a psychoanalyst, and very into Carl Jung, who, of course, I love his work, um, and archetypes, and, um, I like that she blends psychology with astrology, because that's, like, the most helpful way to use it. I mean, I, you know, you and I both love mundane astrology, too, um, but... She's still mostly, I'm only halfway through, she just talks about Pluto and archetypes of Pluto and how um, she she uses a lot of, like, client um, client chart, like, stories from clients' charts and, and clients' lives. And so it's helping me know what to look for in charts, things that I don't already know. Um, so if we're going to talk about fate, fate, like, for instance, like, fourth house placements, because the fourth house is childhood aspects, but then also, you know, home later in life, like, I find that people with Mars or Pluto in the fourth usually have, like, some form of abusive or, like, um, agitated childhood homes. That's pretty common. Um, or, like, Pluto in the seventh or the eighth, you know, a lot, potentially a lot of like bad relationship scenarios or abuse through relationships. Um, Lilith in the twelfth house, uh, is like almost always indicative of ch- being abused as a child, and I've seen that repeat in family charts, which is really scary and weird. Yeah, we need to do a whole Lilith episode. <laughs> but like 12 so when we're talking about fate, it's like the the houses that I think of the most, but obviously more so if if there's planets in those houses is um like 4th, 8th, 7th, 12th. And then and then I mean the mid, they're all important, but also like the midheaven, like the sign and the planets that are in the midheaven almost always influence somebody's work. And then work is, like, second, sixth, tenth house. So all of those things, like, the overlapping signs and planets in those home, in those houses always show, like, here's the work that you're meant to do.
1: I feel it's so hard to pin down, like, for me, which houses to think about the most with fate. Because I'm thinking about, well, which aspect of fate? Um, but another thing that came to mind was the Arabic parts. Mm-hmm. Um, part of fortune and spirit, and there's a lot of them, but have you thought about those at all? In fate?
0: I always um, use the part of fortune, and I'm still learning about the other ones.
1: Yeah, same. I haven't done a whole
0: lot with them. Um, I see part of fortune, If it's it's easier to pin down more precisely if it's like, With a planet, um, like I had a client whose part of fortune was right on her seventh house cusp with Jupiter, and she got married, yeah, she got married really young. But they're so happy, and like they've been married for several years. Well, good for her, I know. I was like, you don't even have to worry about your marriage, girl, you got it. Like, (laughs) damn, I know. <laughs> no pressure um eleventh house yep. ah yes <laughs> friends <laughs> yep. i I'm trying to remember where mine is that's terrible i don't remember <laughs> it must not be with any other planets
1: that would be interesting. If- too is more physical and the part of spirit is more Mm -hmm. spiritual I've I've
0: like read like two things about those so like yeah I have a big source book on astrology and it talks about that but it uh, it, I have bought it it's it was like cheap at a used bookstore and I was like oh okay in astrology you know like last year just as a resource and then I read through it and I'm like, eh. It's just very it's just astrology light. Um yeah. So I don't know how much of that particular part where it talks about the Arabic parts to like I just take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's not really my world, so I don't
0: I don't swim too much in it. Um, do you have you learned or used or know anything about the vertex
1: oh oh yeah i um have a personal story with that actually there's someone i know yes <laughs> whose whose vertex um is con no whose saturn conjuncts my vertex oh and who their vertex is in my first house and they my vertex is in their first
0: house. So you have a mutual reception, basically?
1: A faded relationship mm. that has lots of karma.
0: Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I just recently started working with it. Um, and I've seen it, because it's still new to me, Like I've seen it um, be very precise, but it's you. it's it's always in relation to, like, another chart. Or, or if it's, like, right on the cusp of a house or on top of a natal planet, then it's easier to decipher. Um, but I don't know enough about it to, like, for sure say what it always means in a chart if it's not aspected within the chart, the existing chart. Yeah,
1: I feel like it's,
0: Yeah, by, like, a transit or another person's chart, yeah.
1: Right, it's a doorway for people and things to come
0: in and out of. Mm-hmm. Um, another fate thing that's funny, I, so, you know, Saturn finally moved into Aquarius. Um, I had, I can't even remember how many people uh, emailed me for chart readings in March, and almost all of them are starting their Saturn return. And I'm like, that's why. They're like, I feel like I need this, but I don't know why. Or I feel something coming, and I'm just like, oh, baby, it's your Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> well, they must have
1: been feeling
0: it coming. I felt mine. I felt, well, of course, now I have Saturn in the first, so it's like mm. that That pressure is very visceral. But I, I was warned of it. I started learning about it when I was like 25 or 26, but I could feel that like crushing pressure of like, things are about to change for sure. Yeah. Um, I know
1: we talked about this a bit, but I think it's going to be really interesting when, well, you, you've talked about how Saturn, like going against Saturn Mm -hmm. for you, it's like, well, can you say that? I don't,
0: um, yeah, so going against Saturn, like, I I think my perspective of Saturn is very strong because it's in my first house, so it's, like, embodied in me in certain ways and in my life and in my approach to life, um, but when I, I've always, I think I've always had, like, quick karma my whole life, but it escalated when Saturn came around so like the the re, the chain reaction from action to consequence for me has always been very fast and then when Saturn return started it was like almost instantaneous to the point of being scary so when i was doing something against my saturn against that dignity against that maturity and purpose like bad things would happen immediately <laughs> Um, and I knew what it was. And so that, um, that made me appreciate Saturn and appreciate fate a lot more because it was like, you're not getting away with this. I'm not going to let you do this anymore. So I was just like, okay, I'm sorry. And even now, I you know, I, I tread very carefully.
1: <laughs> the and things. Yeah. Uh, Uh-huh. When they go against their Saturn, which is really you just going against you and uh-huh. your highest standard for yourself. Um it kind of what might happen kind of reminds me of um in practical magic when they resurrect the boyfriend from the dead uh-huh. and all of they wanted him but got this like demonic man. Um so it's like the
0: the spanking, but also like the demon, mhm well, yeah, and that's um I guess that's like another fate, free will thing where you you know we i believe we have free will with within the con- constructs or limits of like physical reality, and you know like nobody's gonna fucking fly without help, you know, but um. <laughs> But I think uh, you can move against fate, you can move against Saturn or Pluto um, in in pursuing what you think you want, Um, but if that's not for you, as set out by the fate of your chart and your life, it's not, even if you get it, it's not going to be good, Ultimately. Um, so I think people who yearn for things that clearly aren't... I don't... Well, I don't know. Because it's like, are you meant to yearn for it and not get it? Or is it just that you're, you're not yearning for the right thing?
1: I think that the yearning itself... It's, it's not always that you're yearning for a house, necessarily. But what would that house or like this... like Or something a relationship uh-huh. uh, in a kind of romantic relationship perhaps it's not that you want that but you want communion you want belonging so uh, understanding the feeling that you're trying to achieve uh-huh. with the thing that you feel you want is I find refines an awareness of your desires because a lot of times your quote desires are just kind of like Hidden in them is your real desire. Yes. Um, yeah. You. It just takes a little bit of digging, but I think that that's Pluto magic right there. Is Pluto strips it down for you, and the parts that aren't yours, that isn't really what you want, are you know sacrificed, and then the stuff that remains is what you get to keep and what you get to use. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 so. I say this word a lot, but it's so dignifying. And, like, there's this, like, gratitude once you get through that process of, like, ah, this is the real me.
0: Yeah. I
1: was always inside.
0: Yeah, it's like when people talk about, and this is just, like, my constant critique of Internet culture, Pluto in the 11th house. Um, (laughs) But when people talk about, like, finding themselves that's a weird like i get it but it's also a weird way to phrase it but i guess that is kind of pluto too it's like you're yeah. there, you're there already you just got to get rid of the shit that isn't top. yeah
1: yeah pluto tills things it brings things you know from the bottom to the surface mm-hmm. which is beautiful but you don't expect it especially if pluto is in contact
0: Mm. Yeah. I wonder what that would look like. I have
1: Pluto sextiling Uranus. And then
0: Capricorn. Hmm. I wonder what Pluto conjunct Uranus would look like. Oof. Right. Yeah. Just I you know what Pluto conjunct uh Uranus is? It's chaos magic. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, you're right.
0: (laughs) Yes. And that had such a moment in the early 90s. I need to go look at those transits. I wonder... um, uh, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Like, I find myself wondering... uh, You know, this is just from the perspective of, like, America and Western society. How are... Um, like, the ways that Jupiter and Saturn work with each other, so it's like Jupiter is always going, 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 expanding, accumulating, and then Saturn sets that limit and kind of, like, smacks it back down to reality. Like, hey, there is a limit to expansion, which I feel like we're seeing this year. Um, But I always find it interesting in charts like people that have a very active uninhibited Jupiter because they tend to just really expand and and accumulate um yeah I don't know where I was going with that
1: (laughs) did you see or did you hear in the astrology podcast when they were talking about Jupiter Pluto um I think it was that Jupiter and Pluto had a moment, and they were talking about the conspiracy
0: theories of the coronavirus. Oh, I thought um, that was mostly Mercury and Uranus. Was it? The? Mm-hmm. Okay. the Jupiter-Pluto stuff is the big, the big money moving, the like the stimulus checks and the there've been there's been this recent thing with um, the big
1: stimulus checks. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Well, just like money. Jupiter, from the government, Pluto. Yes. Um, but I, one of my clients also told me the other day, and I didn't know this, that there's been some kind of student debt forgiveness thing going on, and some chunks of people's student debt is getting paid off. Well, damn. Yeah, and I was like, that's very Jupiter, Pluto. But it's, yeah. it was April 4th, and then it happens again June 30th, and then November 12th.
1: It's a very jubilee kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean whatever it brings is good. Thanks, Jupiter.
1: Well, well Jupiter can get out of hand too, and I think too it just it depends on like what planet is ruling Jupiter. So with this Jupiter and Capricorn Saturn we're ruling.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jupiter. Yeah. I feel um I feel a little bit sorry for people who don't know a ton about, like, transits because Jupiter and Sag was so great for everybody, and then here we are, <laughs> like, like, Jupiter and Capricorn's just like, well, you're on your own now.
1: It's so, um, I feel like this is such a milestone year where, mm-hmm. like, life, it's like a, a year where it's like, life before that year was this way, and then life after that year Mm -hmm. was this
0: way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I feel like it's, I've seen people, people who, um, I know that are very Capricorn in nature, like they're very resourceful and careful with their money, um, and know how to make sacrifices and know what it's like to do without, are actually doing really well right now and then people who are um not familiar with that kind of energy or approach are almost shocked or like dumbfounded that there is a limit
1: <laughs> and then there's some people who
0: Oh yeah, I, I've i seen, I made a little rant about this the other day, but I'll say it again because why not, um, <laughs> that people, I was, you know, knowing these upcoming transits and stuff and Jupiter was in Sag, so there was on the internet all this, like, prosperity work and money magic and la la la, like, no limits, manifest whatever you want, which is somewhat possible with Jupiter in Sagittarius because there is no limit there. Um... And you can bring in a lot more.
1: Wow, where is you want to go?
0: Yeah. Um, So, I have to pause this again and upload it. Okay, so, um, but yeah, there was all this like, prosperity, money, you know, get your bag, blah, 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 blah. And I knew, I was like, Jupiter and Capricorn is coming. It is coming for these people and their business model of, prosperity is going to either die or they're going to have to shift and they're going to have to, like, shamelessly sell stupid shit to get money. Because, like, Jupiter and Capricorn, like, I felt like it was going to expose a bunch of bullshitters, which it did. Um, But, like, I saw a bunch of, like, hashtag insta-witches switch from, like, selling... um spells for prosperity and oils and, you know, products like, well, I should watch how I say this, um, selling things filled with promise to having to sell actual stuff. And they're still selling things with promise, but the biggest shift I've seen is like selling, um, diuretic tea, (laughs) Which is also very Jupiter and Capricorn because Capricorn sheds and limits. So it's like literally shedding weight. Yeah. But it's like, here's the only way I know how to make money right now. And I just thought it was so funny to see that, like, that translation of it is to go from like selling promises of prosperity to selling promises of like weight loss with, like, still some kind of faux spiritual twist on it.
1: Well, with weight loss, too, and thinking about Capricorn, and sometimes, like, with it being associated with standards and authorities and shoulds, it makes sense to me that that would be kind of a highlight. Like, I should look this way. And Jupiter is, like, the conversation, the worldwide conversation of the moment. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: There was um, something, I can't remember which book, some astrology book I'm reading um, that associates Jupiter with the persona too, which is very Sagittarius.
1: Interesting. I have Jupiter in my first house, so I feel like I'll never be able to feel that otherwise.
0: Yeah. I have Jupiter in my fifth, which makes sense with what I do for a living.
1: Enter sixth, which also makes sense
0: mm-hmm, yeah, well, so I know you have to go is there <laughs> do you have any closing arguments or thoughts or things that you think are super important related to fate and astrology uh,
1: yeah, I do I think that uh, it's easy to like look at it and. I don't know. I'm just thinking about like the anxiety that I feel with transits sometimes Mm -hmm. Um, and how some planet coming up with some planet can feel really like, oh, fuck, what kind of trouble am I going to be in? Um, It's not always that way. And my attitude about a transit truly reflects my attitude about my life at the moment and Mm -hmm. what I feel I'm going to lose or not um, tells me a lot about what I think I have to lose Um, but I think that it can feel really scary but the birth chart I've I've had readings with people where they're like I was so nervous that I was going to walk out of here being so discouraged and you're it's just not out to kill you or get you or punish you I find that the chart really is just like for you It's like a very high hope for you. Um, There's like stuff in there that's like hard shit, but all of it, I find, wants to be redeemed and you want to redeem it. Um, It just like is a matter of like, to use a Jungian word, integrating with those things.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the birth chart more than anything is like a map. And all you have to do is learn how to read it or understand it. And then, yeah, I mean, astrology, even when it's not, even when transits or um, developments within a chart aren't necessarily uplifting or great, it's reassuring because it's like, oh, this was going to happen anyway. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And also a feeling of like, it's not your fault. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's not an excuse for poor behavior, but it's not it's not your fault that your life happens certain ways.
1: It was going to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, do you wanna? Do you wanna? Is your website up yet?
1: No, but it will likely just be taylorappalachia.com dot com like it was last time.
0: Okay, because I was like, I want to plug that because I know you're you're doing readings too.
1: Now I'm just doing the good old DM me. Okay. <laughs> Not formal, but I'm also just juggling quite a few things. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Getting my book back up is on my to-do.
0: Okay. So if people want a reading with you, they can just DM you at Taylor Appalachia on, on the gram.
1: On the gram. <laughs> or you can send me an email, which is the same.
0: Yeah. At email. Taylor Appalachia at Gmail. Yeah. Okay. Well. I- I'm excited to see your website when you, you when you refresh it.
1: Thank you so much.
0: <laughs> well, thanks for talking to me for like 2 hours about astrology.
1: <laughs> it's always fun. I feel like every time we catch up it's not about like we talk about our lives, but it's only about astrology.
0: Mhm. So well, it's it's a language not many people speak, so it's nice it's to fun. share that.
1: Yes. I totally I agree it's like moving somewhere to a country that they don't speak the language like your native language and then you meet someone who's from where you're from and then you just speak to each other in your language mm-hmm. and you're at home
0: yeah I appreciate it a lot
1: I do too it's nice to be like what do you think's gonna happen with this yeah <laughs> or I learned this technique
0: mm-hmm yeah well thank you um I really appreciate your time and your your insight. Yeah,
1: same. Always fun to chat. I'm glad that I've got you to chat with about it. Yeah.
0: Thanks so much if you made it through our <laughs> um, very long rambling discussion full of tangents. Um, that's how our conversations always are but i really appreciate it and find that a lot of things come up organically that are more interesting than if we would have just um stuck to you know sort of a scripted outline of our conversation um the <laughs> the audio was not um amazing i probably should have considered that um venus retrograde through my 6th house would have affected, (laughs) affected this, especially in Gemini, um, to some degree. So I do apologize for that. Um, and next time we'll probably figure out a better system to record just so that, um, you can hear the, the other person better. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. Um, I hope it was enjoyable and informative and we'll definitely, um, continue to have these types of conversations. I really enjoy bringing in other perspectives because I find it, um, more enjoyable and I always feel like I learn something through conversation. So thanks again to Taylor for hopping on here with me. Um, she and I talk about this stuff all the time anyway, so it's nice to share those conversations All right, I'll see you again next time.